everything we do has a beginning. starting point. A lot of those things end up needing a restart. Let's start again. Yeah. But our God is all about new beginnings. And it all starts with the gospel. Good morning. A couple years ago, my wife and I were on this cruise, and uh, we've had bad experiences on cruises. We've uh, had to go around hurricanes, and uh, you know things have gotten cut short, and so we were hoping that this cruise would be different, but it wasn't. Somebody got sick, and we had to alter our plans, and so we ended up in the Florida Keys and got stuck there for a couple days, which ain't a bad place to get stuck, okay? Not, not a bad place, but we didn't know what to do. People were renting scooters, and I'm like, I don't want to go to all that work, what are we gonna do? So we, we were literally walking down the street and we stumble upon this house and it's Hemingway's house that they turn into a museum. Hemingway was a great writer in the 20th century and I, I like writers and so I thought, let's go in there and immediately we were overrun with cats. Apparently Hemingway liked cats. Not just any cat, six-toed cats. So there's all these six-toed mutant cats everywhere but I'm just intrigued because Hemingway and, and, and I was just you know, reading about him and there's this story that came. He had four wives and several mistresses, not exactly a great moral life, but one of, the, one of the urban legends was that one of his wives hated his writings and read several books and was very unimpressed. And one day she's in a cafe, she starts talking to this guy and he, he's like, oh, I'm in here all the time. So they begin a relationship, build a relationship. And then about three or four uh, dates in, she realizes, realizes this is Hemingway. <clears throat> she falls in love with him. They get married. And once she got to know the author, all the writings started making sense. So we've been doing this series, and I was thinking about that, called Start Here, where we're studying the Gospel of John. And sometimes the writings of someone makes more sense when you understand who the author is. And so the author is this guy named John who started following Jesus when he was just a teenager, which I love because you don't have to wait to screw your life up in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. You can actually follow Jesus as a teenager, which is great, he shows us that. But, but John was this interesting guy. Now let me tell you, there's two Johns in the New Testament. There's a John the Baptist, right? And so this is like, you know, the fashion-challenged guy who wore camel hair, unitard, and then, but was probably the first world's foodie. He liked locusts and honey, and, and so he had this interesting guy. But that's, that's John the Baptist. John the Apostle was a, a guy who was a fisherman by trade. He was learning his trade from his dad. Jesus comes to him and his brother and says, follow me. And so he leaves his father, which meant he left his future. It was a family business and he began to follow Jesus. And later in his life, John became an elder at, the, at a church in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey, uh, where he served God. And, and, and he was a faithful man that preached the gospel, that confronted false teachers. If you read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, that's what those books are about. And then, at the end, and, then, and then he wrote this book that we're actually gonna start studying next week called the book of Revelation. And God, uh, uh, God did some amazing things. But all of his writing started after he was condemned 
uh, and uh, through persecution to this island in the middle of the Aegean Sea called Patmos. And his pastoral ministry was over, but his writing ministry had just begun. And so we know this because we have Bibles. And John wrote all of these things, and he was a disciple, but he wasn't just any old disciple. John was in the inner circle. I don't know if you think about this when you read, but there's kind of these concentric circles that are around Jesus' life. There were the, the crowds, and these are the folks that would come when they heard the message that they wanted to hear. They were consumers. They weren't about serving. They were about being served. And so when the message didn't fit their, their agenda, they would not come. And, 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 and they were eventually the ones who would kill Jesus. But there were the crowds. And then there were the 12, the, the disciples that Jesus pulled together and said, through you guys, I'm gonna change the world. But there were some kind of squirrely guys on there, so Jesus couldn't totally trust them. There wasn't you know, close intimacy there. So then we'd pull these three aside, Peter, James and his brother John. But John wasn't just in the inner circle. John was in the inner, inner circle. And we know this because of various scriptures. And I love the old living Bible. Anybody remember, old enough to remember the living Bible? Yeah. So it's got the precursor to the message and all kinds of cool translations. But the living Bible called John Jesus' best friend. And so Jesus loved John and brought him close in very unique ways. He's his best friend. Now, speaking of best friends, I'm gonna show you one of my best friends, all right? This is my buddy, Rick. Rick is a chef. Rick is, if you know anything about food, a James Beard finalist a few years ago. This guy is an amazing chef. And in fact, uh, he opened a new restaurant and uh, I didn't get to go because I was out of town. And I came back and I found, you know, you know, you go in the refrigerator sometimes and you get surprised by something good. Like one of my kids had not eaten, they brought the box in, and anytime the food, I, I, this is my rule, if I'm paying for the food, I get to eat it, no matter whose name's on it. And so I see this, and it was like, it was like gold. I thought I, got, I, I, I discovered gold. There was a turkey leg in there, and it had been wrapped properly, right? And, it, I, and I love turkey legs. When I go to the fair, I'll get like four of them. I love turkey legs. And so here's this turkey leg, and I take a bite, and I, I'm just like, immediately I call Rick, I'm like, what did you do to this thing? He said, well, you know, I can't really talk about it, but I'll just let you know it involves sweet tea. And I'm like, all right, I'm in, I'm in for that. Anything that involves sweet tea is awesome. But I always ask Rick, I'm like, what is in the meatloaf? I hate meatloaf, but his meatloaf is amazing. What is in, you know, the, the, the hot chicken? What's in this? He's like, well, you know, I got some secret sauce that I use, and he will never tell me, right? Because he's got this secret sauce. And I thought about that, and I thought about John, Jesus' best friend. And I thought, you know, John had some secret sauce. He had some things that if, you, if, if, you're, if you're not careful and, and you don't know the author, you might miss. And so I wanna bring some of those out as we end our series, as we think about the Gospel of John and we think about Jesus' best friend. And so I wanna get into it with a couple of stories. Now let me set the stage. This is the Last Supper. Jesus has just told his disciples um, that he's going to die and, and, and that they needed to um, carry on the ministry. They were super confused. But I want you to look at this story and I want you to read the underlying portion when I read it out loud. Can you do that with me? It says, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. Jesus had just said someone around this table is going to betray me. And so Peter's asking John to find out who it is. We'll come back to that. Now, 
now we're on the cross, fast forwarding stories. Jesus is on the cross and he is dying. And he is trying to figure out who's gonna take care of his mom. And look at what he says, read the underlying portion with me. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. Jesus is entrusting John, by this time a guy probably in his early 20s, if that, Jesus is entrusting his mom to John, his best friend. Jesus is essentially saying, I love you in a very unique way. I so trust you, I so love you, take care of mom. Well, Jesus dies, and all the disciples are essentially like, man, this thing's over. We've given our life for three and a half years. We thought we were gonna change the world. We thought everything was gonna get better, and yet, it's done. And so when you lose your purpose, you know what you do? You go back to what's familiar. And so they go back to fishing. And so he and Peter are back fishing. Well, I guess this is what we're gonna do now. I thought we had a different mission in life. I thought we had a different vocation. I thought we had a different identity, but let's just go back fishing. So they're fishing, and all of a sudden, from the shore, they see someone and set, that says, hey, um, put the nets on the other side of the boat, and read the underlying portion with me. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. It's the Lord. So Jesus appears to his, his, his buddy again. What's going on here? I had you read this phrase multiple times. What's going on here? John is telling us something. He's telling us something about identity. See, your identity is the thing that you define yourself with. It's the thing that you want to be known for. It's that which you derive your significance and your meaning and your purpose. It's that which you wanna be applauded for. You want people to notice about you. Your identity is the thing that, that, you, that you put forth as, this is who I am. This is what makes me special. This is how I feel important. Now, the secret sauce of John was, that was Jesus. John's identity was found in Jesus. There's all kinds of things, if you haven't noticed, vying for your identity. Uh, just look at the roles you play. If you're a, uh, a, a father or a mom or you have a job, right? All of these things, you know, are you the soccer mom? Are you the baseball dad? All of these things are vying for preeminence in your, in your identity. If you wanna notice uh, your identity, pay attention to your activity. Uh, what do you do with your, in, in your, with your hobbies? I remember years ago seeing this sticker, now that's so common, um, but I was so confused by it for a long time. It, it, it said 26.2. I'm like, what is 26.2? And then I found out it was a marathon. And I thought, I could totally run a marathon if a bear chased me for 26.2 miles. I could totally do it, right? How many, how many run a marathon or have thought about running? Yeah, we hate you, we hate you. I mean, we respect you, but you're putting pressure on us, right, to, 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 to get on the treadmill and walk for 20 minutes a day, so, so thanks for that. But, but whether, it's, whether it's, you know, marathons or, you know, Iron Tribe or Cross, you know, like all of these things that we give ourselves to that, that we see benefit from, those are the things vying for our, our identity, the things, the things that we might want to get our significance from and our meaning from and our, and our purpose from. Look at the 
Facebook posts that you've done in the last year. Just do a little audit. You might discover some things that are vying for your identity. Notice bumper stickers, right, on cars. Uh, and you don't have to look from just without, you can look from within because I don't know about you, but I don't remember my dreams very much. My wife remembers all of her dreams. It drives me crazy. She has these cool, vivid dreams and God speaks in them sometimes. I never remember my dreams, but I remember all of my daydreams. And so do you. And these are the things that if you pay attention to might clue you in to the things you're trying to find your identity in other than Jesus. Notice how you introduce yourself. I met a business guy a couple months ago. I'll change the details, uh, some of the details, but he meets me and he's like, hey, my name is, uh, my name's Bob and um, I, I started this business and it's going great and now we've got this awesome office in this cool place and we have this many employees and these are our earnings before taxes and I'm like, dude, I just met you. Let's date a little bit before we get married. I mean, good grief, man. Like, just came out now. Now, before, I was kind of tempted to get judgmental as a pastor and like quote Bible verses. Then I went to a pastor's conference, right? So at pastor's conference, it's worse because the pastor came up to me and said, I'm, 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 I, you know, I, I'm John and, 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 you know, we've got this great church and God's doing cool things and we've got three campuses and we have this many staff and we got, it's, it's so easy to let your identity leak through your words. If you pay attention to your words, you're gonna be able to see where you're getting your significance, right? John could have said this, I was the youngest person in history to follow Jesus. I'm the oldest living apostle. I wrote more books than any other disciple. All of these things were true. And yet, how did he refer to himself? I am the disciple who Jesus loved. Why did he say that about himself? Why was that the first thing he led with in conversation? Because Jesus was his identity. Uh, in the last year and a half, it's been very uh, challenging. Some of you guys kind of know our story, and Pastor Chip uh, has been meeting uh, with us. And I remember the first time we met with Pastor Chip. And Pastor Chip can be a little direct, you know? And so um, he, uh, he told us three things in that first meeting. One I agreed with, one I hated, and one that confused me, okay? So the first thing, he said, uh, Darren, Amy, you're in a John 15, 2 season. Now, those of you who have read along, you may remember the story in John 15 where Jesus compares himself to a gardener and compares us as a vine. And if you're a gardener, and, you and even if you're not, you understand that you have to prune right, plants and trees back. It looks like you're killing it. It looks like you're cutting it off. No, 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 you're pruning it so there will be more fruit, right? And Chip's like, you're in that season. And we're like, yes, we agree. Well, I understood that. Second thing he says is God doesn't owe you anything. Now that one I didn't like. Because I want to believe I'm a unique snowflake and God has, you know, uh, <laughs> wonderful things that, and, and I'm not going to suffer. And I don't know if you've ever struggled with that. I'm sure not. But I I just had this entitlement thing, and so I didn't like that. And then he said something that I didn't understand at first, but I think I'm starting to understand a little more. He said, you need to live loved. You need to live loved. What's he saying? What he's saying is, before God, you can live to be loved, or you can live loved. 
two different ways of approaching life. Now John tells us this in, in his epistle in 1 John 1. It's pretty simple here. We love him because he first loved us. Big difference. This is an identity thing. A lot of us are living, doing religious activity to be loved by God. And John's saying, no, 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 no. That's, you've got the order wrong. You love because you've been loved. That's the power. That's where the power is in the Christian life. That's where the pleasure is. When you are working from your acceptance, not for your acceptance. When you're basing your identity not on what you do, but on what Jesus has done. Not your achievement, but his acceptance. That's what it means to have your identity firmly rooted in Jesus. And when you experience that, there is no one to impress. There is nothing to prove because you have the eternal smile of God the Father, not because you're good and great, but because Jesus is good and great. You're like, well, man, I'm just not perfect. Awesome, that's great news. You know why? Jesus was perfect for you. He lived a perfect life. Well, I mean, I've sinned a bunch and also, good news, Jesus died in your place for your sins. You don't ever have to be condemned another second of your life because you are in Christ, follower of Christ. And when God the Father looks down at you, who does he see? Who's, help me, church, who does he see? He sees Jesus. Is he pleased with Jesus? Yeah, so he's pleased with you eternally because you're in Jesus. Well, I just don't have any strength, man. I feel like I'm tired, I'm kinda burned out. I, also great news, because there's resurrection power that lives in you that's ready to help you overcome the challenges in your life. When you know what? My identity's in Christ. When you know I'm loved because I've been loved. We live loved. So Jesus loves us just as we are, as we're working all this out, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are, and John knew that, so. Second part of his secret sauce is this. His personality was challenged by Jesus. He allowed that to happen. Your personality is simply, and it can be very complex, but for our purposes, it's just the patterns that you have with regard to how you think, how you feel, and how you act. Your personality is a product of how God has wired you up, uh, how you responded to your family of origin, and then how you've used God's gifts that he's given you. That's what your personality is. And personality theory can be super complicated, but, but, it's, but it's a beautiful thing. Our personalities are absolutely like remarkable, right? Because this is how we you know, influence the world. This is how um, we, we move the needle. This is probably why you're in the job that you're in, that you, that you love, or you, you married the, the person that you married. It's, it, it's remarkable, but it can also be, listen, 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 it can also be very restrictive. Your personality can be like a cast. You ever had a cast? You ever broken a bone? What a cast does is it protects your body from movement so that your bones can heal. When well, a weird way, our personalities can become, in a way, like a full body cast that restricts us and keeps us from being agile and responsive to the people we love and to the circumstances in and around our life. 
So personalities are complicated, and, and there's all kinds of, man, my wife and I are nerds about this stuff. We studied uh, DISC and Strength Fighters and Myers-Briggs, the whole staff just kind of experienced Myers-Briggs, this thing called the Enneagram we're really into. Like, we go crazy this stuff. Let me make it real simple. There's people that are fight people, and there are people that are flight people, okay? When there's conflict, typically, you in your inner being wanna do one or the other. Now what I love about John is, it's very clear which side of the ledger he grew up with, and, 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 and in a sense what he was. Now let me show you this, it's a great passage. Um, James, the son of Zebedee, that's John's brother, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, which is sons of thunder. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What if Jesus called you the son of thunder? <laughs> That's what he called John. The son of Jesus. Now, why did he call him that? Well, I said our personality has a lot to do with how we grew up. Who was John's dad? What did he do for a living? Commercial fisherman. Have you been around a commercial fisherman? <laughs> Fairly truthful guys, I'll just throw that out there. Okay, now what you don't know, we don't have time to look at this story, but there was, there's a couple times this is actually mentioned. John's mom, James and John's mom, come to Jesus one day and said, hey, I got a great idea. Let's expand the Trinity. I mean, we love the three, but what if, what if my sons, John and James, could sit at your right hand and rule the universe forever, Jesus? What do you think about that idea? Right? So John gets it honest, is what I'm saying. Jesus says it. Mom and dad reinforced it. John is a truth guy, right? And if you don't believe me, read this story with me. It says, as the time grew new for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. Essentially what Jesus would do was preaching tours. He did conferences. John was probably his operations guy, as I will show you in just a second. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. This is a racial issue. They didn't want him to go through because of some past issues with race. When James and John saw this, these guys aren't gonna come to our conference, what do they do? They said to Jesus, Lord, should we call out fire from heaven to burn them up? <laughs> John... Son of thunder, calling down the thunder and the fire. God, they, won't let, they don't want to host our conference. Fry them like crispy pieces of bacon. Let's do it, let's do it that way. <laughs> now, I understand John. I get John. I was watching a football game, if you call it that. It was the St. Louis Rams, so that barely counts as NFL football the last few years, and then they moved to L.A., which we really weren't that sad about, oddly enough, in St. Louis, but we're there, and my buddy, um, one of my good buddies is friends with Kurt Warner, who, if you know a little bit of the history, Kurt, Kurt led the St. Louis Rams to multiple Super Bowls, won multiple NFL MVPs, um, just a great Christian guy, did awesome things for our community, and we thought, oh yeah, we'll trade that guy. Genius, right? So then we go into this tailspin. Well, we're there. He's playing for the Arizona Cardinals, and I'm sitting with my buddy with Kurt's family in the stands. And the, the you know they're killing us, which, which was we were used to that. And and these guys right behind us, right? We're sitting here, and these guys right behind us start like mouthing, start yelling. 
Uh, they're about 12 deep into their beers, and they're, 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 you're, they're yelling about Kurt, calling him a traitor, calling him all kinds of names. And then they kind of look, because, you know, the family's like, that's not good. They start, like, talking to the family. And Kurt's son there and his aunts. And, and, I, and I mean, they're, like, going after his family. And I, and I don't know how it happened. I just, find, I, I just, all of a sudden, I'm right in this guy's face. I don't know how I got there. But I was a little larger than him physically and I was letting him know that this was not going to continue. And by that time the security guy showed up and I was able to sit down and my wife is like, why? Why do you maybe wanna do prison ministry from the inside over something like this? Why, why? And I'm like, I don't know. I just run to conflict. It's just the way, I, this, is the way this is the way John was. But wait, wait, wait. What happens later in his life the truth guy becomes a tender guy. The tough guy becomes soft in a good way. What happens to this guy? Why do we read his writings? It's love, 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 love. That didn't sound like a fisherman, right? That didn't sound like a truth guy. That didn't sound like the guy who called down fire from heaven. Exactly. He allowed Jesus to change him he didn't just say the thing that many of us say, it's just how I am. This is just me, take it or leave it, right? You don't wanna stand before Jesus and say, that's just how I was. Because we have the opportunity, whether we're on the fight side or the flight side, to let Jesus so work in our personality to balance us, to make us agile and flexible and responsive to life. You know you're growing when God is pushing on your personality. And you know that you're, it's time because your wife or your husband or your friends or your kids or your small group have been saying the same things for years and all of a sudden, maybe even today, God's like, it's enough. It's enough. I wanna deal with that. And John just let Jesus do that. Now how did he do that? Well. Here's the other piece of the secret sauce. John's discipline was staying close to Jesus. Remember we're at the Last Supper earlier, we read it, and Peter had to ask John this interesting question. So let me, let me set up a, the dinner. A lot of times we think, you know, we see these paintings, they're all sitting in these high tables. No, in the first century, their tables were about this far off the ground. So to eat at the table, you literally had to lean back on your elbow, and you would eat with one hand, and then you would kind of put your legs underneath the table and that other person would be really close to you, like right here, and then the person would be right here. Well, John, the text seems to tell us, was always right next to Jesus. And it really bothered Peter. He didn't like it. And it's, so Peter's over here down the table somewhere. And he's like, maybe it's like the secret game. Hey, could you ask John if, like, who is it? Jesus said somebody's gonna betray him. Could you ask John? Could you? So, so Peter, big mouth, probably said, hey, John, ask Jesus who's gonna betray him. And John's like, leans back on Jesus' shoulder and says, who is it? And I love that because that gives us a picture of who John is, doesn't it? He was that close, that tight with Jesus. Now, unfortunately, we can't be that close to Jesus physically, but we can be that close to Jesus spiritually. And the Bible says that God has given us ways 
to be close to him. They're called spiritual disciplines. Now don't turn me off here, because I'm I'm I, I got an angle on this that's gonna encourage you. Let me give you a definition of the word discipline. Discipline is any activity that I can do by direct effort that will help me do what I cannot now do by direct effort. Let me say it again, it's a little wordy. Um, Any activity I can do by direct effort that will help me do what I cannot now do by direct effort. And that's from a great author by the name of John Ortberg. Now what is he saying? He's saying you're not just gonna roll out of bed and go, oh, I heard there's a marathon, I think I'll run it. No, no, no. You can't do that by direct effort, right? And not be in the hospital for a while. But you can run three miles for three weeks and then six miles for four weeks and then 10 miles for five weeks and then, right? You can do that by direct effort and what that does, that, in ena- that will enable you to go 26.2 that will enable that. That's what a discipline is. You're strengthening muscles so that you can, do ne- you can do later what you can't do now. That's what it means to discipline yourself, and that is what the spiritual disciplines are. Doing what you can do now to enable you to do what you want to do later. Now, how do you get there? Well, pray and read the Bible. That's what I know. That's all I knew growing up. I mean, I became a Christian in a church, and they said, pray, read the Bible, tell people about Jesus. So I did all that, and I, and I did as best I could. But prayer was hard for me. I mean, I'm like, Lord, Lord thanks, I got two arms, two legs, my family. Okay, I'm out. Like, I don't know what else to say. Like, I mean, so, so, so then I hear people praying for an hour. I'm like, an hour? And one of my mentors says, well, you're not gonna get to an hour right now. What about five minutes? Right? Some of you got just absolutely lost in the, in the year in the word because you tried to keep up. And you tried to run a marathon, and, but maybe you just needed one of the readings or one of the verses. Don't give up. Don't just mail it in just because you couldn't keep up. Just build your muscles. That's what discipline is. But a lot of times we think the only disciplines there are is prayer and reading the Bible. Not true. Not true. And I was set free from this by hearing an author by the name of Gary Thomas. And he had written this book called Sacred Pathways. And he was in ministry for a long, long time. And Gary said, I got to know Gary, he's a great guy. Gary, Gary would ask this question of the people when he would do conferences and just have you know, uh, interaction with people. He would ask this question, it's a great question. He would say, when do you feel closest to God? When do you feel closest to God? And he essentially got back like seven answers. So he wrote a book called Spiritual or Sacred Pathways. And here's how he defines essentially, um, this is kind of my wording with his, what a pathway is. A pathway is your preferred environment and or activity for connecting with God through Christ. So when I say pathways, I'm not saying multiple ways to God. I'm saying multiple ways to connect with God through the things that Jesus has given us, through the person of Jesus. And there's there's several things. Some of us, you know, our our discipline, our lack of discipline is because we don't know what they are. Some of us, our lack of discipline is we don't know how we're wired. And some of you are wired differently. And there's certain activities, right? There's specific places 
that if you will engage God and try to stay close to God, using those certain activities, those specific places, you're gonna feel connected. And I'll list a few. One is, a lot of people feel closest to God when they're worshiping. That's those of you right now who can't wait for me to stop speaking so the band can come back up. You love music. You love singing. You know what the next cool hip worship song is, right? You wear hill songs out and whatever else thing. You just love it. You just feel like, man, I'm in heaven when I'm singing. Anybody like that? Anybody like that? You just love to sing. Yeah. Some of you are kind of on the other side. You're like, uh, I get really uncomfortable maybe with music or maybe not. Or, or I just like to, I like to think. I like to research. I like to, um, you know, get into theology and philosophy, and, and when I'm doing that, man, I just feel so connected to God, right? And thinkers are usually introverts, so I won't make you raise your hand, all right? But there's some of you out there. Some of you are serving, and us pastors will never rebuke you for this, because we always need people to serve, but when you're, we gotta kick you out of the church, because you'll just stay and serve your brains out, you just love to serve. You love to use your gifts. You love to see the gospel move forward because you, you, have, a, you have a dream that if, that, if, that if you use your gifts and other people use their gifts, that, that God can change the world, that changing a diaper matters, that passing out a, a, a worship program matters, that serving teenagers matter. You just, that's just when you feel connected. Some of us are, I made up a word here, um, you're, I had a head of an ING. You're outdooring people. What does that mean? You just love to be outside. Whether you're sitting in a deer stand and you're not seeing anything, but you don't even care. You're fishing, you're gardening, you're in the mountains, you're at the beach, the sunset. You're the, you're the crazy people that are always taking pictures on their Instagram of sunsets. And you're like, we get it, right? The sunset, it's beautiful. But you just, gosh, when you do it, you just feel so like I'm in heaven when I'm outside in a beautiful day. Some of you are mobilizing people that you just love to create activity, man. You, social justice, uh, you know, some, some missions thing. You just love motivating a group of people to change the world. And when you do that, you feel like God is in this thing, man. I feel his pleasure. Some of you are connecting people. Um, you're the ones who love group texts, okay? And the only ones, right? <laughs> you, you, just, you just love to like, you don't wanna read the Bible, you don't wanna read the Bible by yourself, you wanna read it in a small group, right? You love singing in your car, but you'd much rather be at church. You're huggers, usually, right? You're good Christian side huggers. You know about the Christian side hug? Really good at Christian side, and sometimes you gotta be careful with the Christian side hug because people will roll on you, okay? but you don't have alligator arms on the hug thing. You, you're like, you know, this is who John was. This is who John became. He became a lover, he became a connector. So I don't know which one of these, and there's more, read the book, but here, here's my guess. There's one or two of these that you go, yes, yes. Use whatever one or two that are most natural to you to lead you to the other ones. So what do you mean, Darren? You have a hard time reading the Bible? You love being outside? Take the Bible outside. Well, I'm in a boat, I don't want, 
I'm not kidding you, they make a waterproof Bible. I'm not lying, I got one, it floats. <laughs> For real, they really do, they really do. Why love singing? Well, sing on the way to coming to a service that you're gonna serve at. Have the worship in your car. Serve in one service, worship in the other. See how it works? You, don't get to, you, you can't just go, well, I'm just a thinker, and that's all I need. No, problem is we got this Bible. It tells us all these things are meant to strengthen us to be close to Jesus. And we can use the things we're strong at to get to all of them. And some of you are like, I don't know what I am. You know what? Experiment. Try some stuff out. What an adventure this Christian life is. John shows us this in his writings. As a teenage boy, he starts following Jesus. And he lived longer than any disciple. And he saw things, and we're gonna see it next week when we start the book of Revelation. He saw amazing things. And I don't think John's unique. I think we can experience amazing things with Jesus because we're his disciples too, and we are the disciples whom he loves. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you would give us a heart, not just to be like John, but to be close to Jesus. It's not about imitating imperfect men or women. It's about seeing some of the ways that they disciplined themselves, some of the practices, some of the places they went to. Lord, show us what that looks like, please, for us. And we trust you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.